And if you have your Bibles with you, we're in Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 to 19. <clears throat> Just a, a few verses here. And you're going to be talking about the fact that it was not a good day, which is just a play on words. It was not going to be a good day for Pharaoh and, uh, his, and his people. So, <clears throat> pests, bugs and rodents, even the thought of them makes our skin crawl, right? But pests find their way into everyone's home at one time or another. The question is, do we hate these pests enough to do what it takes to get rid of them? One survey says that depends on what sort of pest it is in the house. Researchers found that people will dish out their hard-earned money for an, for an exterminator, meaning they are really serious about getting results when the following pests are in their home. So here's some of the statistics. 24% of adults, that's one in four, will pay an exterminator to kill spiders. How many of you are there? Yes, I want them to come kill spiders. <clears throat> Roughly the same number, 27% of adults will pay to annihilate ants. How about you? Ants, not so okay. You're all right with ants. With the next pest, the percentage jumps to just over half, and 56% will pay to banish bed bugs. Boy, I, yeah, if they're in there, I'd like to get rid of them. <clears throat> the same percentage, 56%, will pay to get rid of rodents. That's mice and rats. And so this uh, person says, that's getting creepier and creepier. So yeah, m yeah, mice and rats. And then 58% will pay to kill cockroaches. Yeah, we don't worry too much about those here, but uh, they do uh, come around from time to time. And then the number jumps again when we talk about the bug that can bring the house down, termites. 87% of adults, that's 9 out of 10, will pay to exterminate termites. How many of you are there? Yeah, like I don't want my house to fall down, right? <clears throat> Notice that except for termites, almost half of adults will live with some very unpleasant creatures rather than pay a professional to ensure the pests are eradicated. And then this survey also showed that many people were willing to endure a certain kind of pest, but not others. And so take that concept of spiritual to a spiritual dimension, and the same thing holds true. Many people are willing to live or feel they have to live with spiritual ants, spiders, uh, spiritual spiders, spiritual bedbugs, spiritual cockroaches, spiritual mice, spiritual rats, or spiritual termites, some sins we tolerate in ourselves, and others we don't. And so <clears throat> we're going to be talking today about pests and the power of God. So I want to uh, just share two personal stories about pests and the other about the power of God. And so <clears throat> growing up, I played baseball. That was my sport. And uh, when I first started, you know, in the minor leagues, they said over in Chippensburg, you call it minor leagues, major leagues, and then the senior division. And, and in the minor league, you know, there's a first year playing, they stuck me in the outfield. That's normally what they do, right? They stick you in the outfield. <clears throat> and so as I'm standing in the outfield um, in a hot summer day, there are these pesky gnats that are just flying around my head all the time. And it just would drive me crazy. And I'd, you know, I would uh, take off my hat and I'd try to swat them. I'd try to squish them between uh, my baseball glove and my hand. <clears throat> and I don't remember who gave me this little bit of advice. Um, but they said, if you put your hand up over your head, the gnats will swarm to the highest part of your body. And it worked. So I'd be standing in the outfield with my hand up over my head because I didn't want them getting in my eyes and in my nose and in my mouth and in my ears. It just would drive me insane. And they would fly to the highest part of my body. It was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen. So I'd stand in the outfield looking like I needed to ask a question. Umpire, are you sure that was a strike or, or a ball? Yeah, so that was pretty incredible. 
So that's free today. You guys can take that and use it anytime that you're at a baseball game with somebody and uh, you're stuck with gnats flying around your head. Now, when we lived in Southern California, we also experienced the power of God through earthquakes. <clears throat> the first one we experienced was during a worship service on a Sunday morning. Imagine that. Our kids are in a separate building, separated from us, and the worship leader was transitioning between songs, and he said this, our God is an awesome God, and everything started to shake. Our chairs, the screen started swaying at the front, and the worship leader and the rest of the worship team just stood there like nothing was wrong, and we're wondering, should we go get our kids? Like, what's happening? And as soon as it all finished, the worship leader said, I guess God agrees, and on we went with worship. So... Um, like I said, once everything settled back down, uh, you know, he just acknowledged that God agreed that he was an awesome God, right? But we see the power of God through earthquakes. And so perhaps all of us have had to deal with pests in our house or swarming around our heads. Hopefully we've all uh, experienced the power of God in miraculous ways, and it's not just through natural occurrences. I want to read this um, quote for you today. There are two sins of man that are bred in the bone, and they continually come out in the flesh. One is self-dependence, and the other is self-exaltation. It's very hard, even for the best of men, to keep themselves from the first error, which is self-dependence. The holiest of Christians and those who understand best the gospel of Christ find in themselves a constant inclination to look to the power of the creature instead of looking to the power of God and the God and the power of God alone. So that is Spurgeon said those words. Like we want to, we are so self-dependent, right? We don't need God. And so we look to ourselves, the creature, instead of the one who created us. And so as we'll see with the third plague today, the magicians were not able to imitate or duplicate it. They acknowledged before Pharaoh that something divine and not human or natural had taken place. And so God continued to make himself known to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so what we're going to learn for our big idea today is that God has all authority and power. And so would you bow your heads with me as we just prepare to receive this word from the Lord today. Lord, we come to you hungry for your word today. Lord, we want to hear from you. I pray that your voice would be heard and not mine as we look into your word as we learn about the fact that you have all authority and all power. We are, we've been seeing that throughout, these, uh, uh, th throughout the plagues that we've already studied. We'll see your uh, power and authority throughout the remainder of these plagues, Lord. And so we worship you for that today. I pray that you would just come by your Holy Spirit and you would fill each heart and mind. I pray that you would open each heart and mind to your word today. I pray that you would challenge us and, and that, Lord, each person would walk away having heard from you today knowing what steps you're asking them to make and so Lord we just lift it up to you and we ask this in Jesus name amen so in verses 16 and 17 we're going to look that there is, look about the fact that there is no caution there's no forewarning that comes and so look at those verses with me if you would this is what God's word says then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came up upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. <clears throat> I can't even imagine. I know how, much, how annoying it was, right, in the baseball field. But can you imagine? They're just everywhere. You can't get away from them. <clears throat> so what we see here with the third plague... 
that there's none of the following items that were found in the first two plagues. So there's no forewarning. Pharaoh was not warned about the coming of the, uh, he was warned, I should say, about the coming of the first two plagues. You know, Moses and Aaron had gone to them and said, let my people go, right? They made that statement. And then they said, if you don't do that, this is what's going to happen. God says, this is what's going to happen. But this time in the third plague, there is no warning. They, they aren't told to go um, to, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Um, it just, they're told what to do. The other thing is there's no time of the warning. So like, they, again, in the first um, and fourth uh, plagues, you're going to see that it's in the morning, go down by the water, right? And then there's no, um, there's no instruction formula as well. So in the first, um, fourth, and what, a sixth, <clears throat> You know, God says, station yourself. And then um, another, the second, and I can't remember all the different ones, but, you know, he says, go to Pharaoh. But in this one, the the third, the sixth, and the ninth, there's like no warning, no instruction, no time for the warning. And so we just see these instructions from Moses. Once again, Moses hears from the Lord, and he tells Aaron what to do. Aaron was to stretch out his staff and strike the dust of the ground, and there are a couple of potential gods that this plague was targeting. But remember, God is just trying to prove to the Egyptians that he is God Almighty and that they need to know who he is. And so he's just breaking down all these different gods that these Egyptians worshipped. And so the first one could have been Seth or Set, which is the Egyptian god of the desert. Here's just an image of what this god or idol would have looked like. It could have also been Geb, the Egyptian deity of the earth, and so God was challenging, as Merida says, their trust in the soil and the God of the ground. He's already dealt with the God of the water, right? Two times, turning the water, you know, the water to blood and then the frogs coming up out of the water. <clears throat> and so when Aaron struck the ground, God's power would be released and it would be unleashed. And the result of Aaron's obedience was that the dust throughout Egypt would become gnats. Now, the exact identity of the, this pesky bug is not certain. Some suggest that it could have been a gnat, a, a lice, or mosquitoes. Kyle and Dillich believe they were not lice, but rather a, a species of gnats so small as to be hardly visible to the eye, but with a sting which, according to Philo and Origen, writers from the 2nd uh, and 3rd centuries, causes a most painful irritation of the skin. They even creep into the eyes and nose, and after the harvest, they rise in giant swarms from the inundated rice fields. So that's kind of what we're talking about. They don't think it's lice, but we don't really know. Scripture doesn't help us with that. With the instructions complete, we see Moses and Aaron's obedience. You notice that it says they did this. So they were both obedient. So what does that mean? Moses obediently shared the message from the Lord with Aaron. And then Aaron obediently stretched out his hand with the staff in it and struck the dust of the ground. And so the gnats were on humans and animals. And this would have been particularly annoying to the Egyptians, especially the priests, because they were known for being hyper-hygienic. Listen to this quote. The Egyptians in general, and the priests in particular, were fanatical about cleanliness, and the priests frequently washed and shaved their bodies in order to be acceptable to their gods. And then John Corson says, So terrible a curse did the Egyptian nobles consider lice that they shaved their bodies every other day. So, like, they were, they were clean freaks, Right? hyper-hygienic. And so imagine how the priests and nobles felt when all of a sudden there were gnats or lice crawling all over them. Their worst nightmare had come true. They were unclean. They were contaminated, and they were humiliated. Like, oh my goodness, look at this. What are we going to do? 
All the dust in the land became gnats. Now, when Aaron struck the dust of the ground, it was just the dry, loose particles on the top of the soil. It's not all the ground. So the use of the phrase, all the dust, is a figure of speech, helping the reader to understand that this plague was vast, far-reaching, complete, and total. But it wasn't like a taking away all of the ground. Again, Kyle and Dillich say, just as the fertilizing water of Egypt had twice become a plague, so through the power of Jehovah, the soil so richly blessed became a plague to the king and his people. So they're like, man, this is not good. God was attacking everything the Egyptians relied on and worshipped so that they would know who he was. And so our first principle today is just this. God is the God of all nature. And that takes us back to our big idea that he has authority and power over his creation. He was able to make dust of the land and then transform it into, into gnats. And there were certainly gnats already present in Egypt at this point, but God's plague of gnats allowed for the supernatural multiplication of gnats so that they were, they were crawling on every human and animal found in Egypt. Ugh, right? Makes your skin crawl a little bit today. And so what we see here is that God is still the God of all nature. And that's true because God is unchanging. He's immutable. He created the seasons. God is the one who allows plants and animals to rest during the winter months. God is the one who brings new life each spring. He is the one who provides a harvest during summer and fall. He is the one who controls how many acorns are produced each year. And if you notice, there was a lot this year. He's the one who controls how many flies and mosquitoes we have in the summer. He provides incredible sunrises and sunsets. I saw one yesterday morning. It was incredible. It's out in the woods. God directs the migration of birds. God creates new life through children being conceived and born. God knows the number of our days. He created us. And so he's the God of all nature. And so maybe you're ready to take this first next step today. And that's just to worship God for being the God of. How would you complete that today? What would you write in that space? What are you just grateful for that he has created or that he's the God of? And so God's power allowed for the supernatural multiplication of gnats when Aaron obediently struck the dust with his staff. And when the magicians attempted to duplicate or imitate this plague, they were unsuccessful. Our second point today is no copy. Look at verses 18 through the beginning of verse 19. This is what God's word says. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And so the magicians attempted to duplicate the miraculous sign, but they failed. Whatever trickery they had been using uh, with turning water to blood and having frogs come up, up, come up from the Nile was not working with turning dust into gnats ends in his commentary says the first two plagues concern the water which is the life and power of egypt politically economically and religiously the gnats however come from the dust of the earth which is not the egyptians quote-unquote power source their magic and secret arts are empowered by the nile but with the third plague the magicians are out of their element this is not for them and so god proved to the magicians that he was not only god of the water but also god of the land and next week, you're going to, or two weeks from now, on the 31st, you're going to hear about him being the God of something else. 
principle too is this today god has the power to limit the deceptive skills of imposters aren't you glad he just limits their deceptive skills god could have limited the magician's skills to duplicate the first two plagues but he chose not to but with the third plague he had not only proved his power and authority over the land but also over the deceptive skills of the magicians and this is the last time the magicians are mentioned in the plague series like pharaoh's not calling on them anymore They might be around, but he's not mentioning them. Their deceptions have been exposed. Their quote-unquote skills are no longer needed. And so we see modern imposters today, too. And because God has all authority and power, he is able to do the same thing today that he did with those magicians uh, years and years ago. He has the power to limit Satan's deceptive skills in our culture, whether it's in politics or the, the economy, whether it's in education or even religion. God is ultimately in control of who serves as our president, senators, representatives, Supreme Court justices, judges, etc. And the list goes on and on, right? He's ultimately in control of that. He's able to bring to light any deception that's being propagated through those individuals. And he can and will allow the truth to be uncovered. God is aware of every conflict that's happening in our world right now. In Ukraine. In, in Gaza. He knows what is true and what is false. He knows when politicians and news anchors are making false claims about what's happening and who is to blame. God is still a part of our educational system, whether or not administrators or teachers acknowledge him. You know, they say they've taken prayer out of schools, but God's still there. Aren't you grateful? He's still there. He's able to speak truth through science because he's the one who created it, Right? The scientists will say, well, God doesn't exist because he can't be proved, da 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 but No, he created science. So God can f- speak truth through science. He's able to limit the false narratives that certain individuals and groups are trying to deceive our children into believing that are a lie. He's able to do that because he has all authority and power. He's able to speak truth through his word when others misuse or misinterpret it. His word will not return to him empty, Uh, as Isaiah tells us, but will accomplish what he has desired and achieve the purpose for which he sent it out. And then those who are speaking falsely about his word will be revealed and dealt with. We see that in Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Listen to what God's word says there. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will uh, tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the weed and bring it into my barn. You see what he's saying there? He's like, yeah, we're going to have these false uh, teachers among us. But he's like, listen, it's okay for now. Their day is coming. Their day is coming. So maybe you're ready for the second next step today, and that's just to trust God to limit the deceptive skills of... Where are you worrying today so the truth prevails? Trust God for that. The magicians were proven to be powerless while God was proven to have all authority and power over the land too. 
the magicians simply acknowledged that Moses and Aaron were not the ones who originated this plague. We see that with the finger of God, but it can also be interpreted the finger of a God. So it's not that uh, the magicians are saying that they believed in God and started to follow the true and living God. No, they're just saying this something supernatural is taking place. Something divine has happened that we can't duplicate in our humanness. And so the magicians just wanted to save face before Pharaoh, so they told him that it was the finger of God or a finger of a God. It did not necessarily mean, like I said, that the magicians were accepting the God of the Israelites as the originator of the plague. They did not want Pharaoh to think that Moses and Aaron were superior to them in any way. And as Stuart in his commentary says, the expression, this is the finger of God, in light of its usage in Exodus 31.18 and Deuteronomy 9.10, would seem to mean something like a supernatural act of God rather than literally referring to God's hand or figuratively conveying a sense such as something easy enough for him to do with his just a finger. The magicians were not confessing to their own conversion to true faith. They were simply saying that the plague was divine in origin and not human. And so a power greater than Moses and Aaron and the magicians was at play. A god greater than the gods of Egypt had orchestrated this miraculous sign. And so we see our third principle, which is our big idea today, that God has all authority and power. This principle is evident through the other references to the phrase finger of God that's used in the Bible. In the giving of the law, we read it in the two uh, uh, references that I just mentioned. Exodus 31.18 says this, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. So the first one is when God is actually talking to Moses. The second one is Moses is talking to the people recalling what had happened. So God's authority and power to determine right from wrong is evident through the giving of the Ten Commandments that show us our need of a Savior. We also see his finger in creation. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 5 says this, When I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, he's talking about God there, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you make him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crown him with glory and honor. So here we see that God's authority and power over creation is evident through his ability to create the heavens, including the placing of the moon and the stars. But Jesus, speaking in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, talks about his power, the finger of God, to cast out demons. This is what he says. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So we see God's authority and power over Satan's minions and evident is, that is evident through Jesus' ability to drive out demons. So we see that he has all authority and power. All three of these and many others prove God's creative omnipotence, all-powerfulness. So God has all authority and power, and that leads us to our third next step today, which is that, are you ready to acknowledge God's authority and power over? And write that in. What are you acknowledging God's authority and power over? Maybe it's that thing that you're struggling with right now. And you're like, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm, I'm never going to get over this habitual sin that I'm struggling with. I'm never going to be able to do it. Can you just acknowledge that God has authority and power over that today? 
And so the magicians were not able to copy, duplicate, or imitate the plague of gnats, but that did not change Pharaoh's attitude or his heart. Our third point today is no change. Look at the second half of verse 19. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. And so Pharaoh's heart remained hard, even though his magicians admitted that this sign was divine and not human. McKay in his commentary says this, the evidence presented to him was not going to overturn his inner desire to maintain his independence from the Lord and his opposition to him. It was not a lack of information that was the problem. Pharaoh was displaying the inner heart rebellion against God that is typical of fallen mankind. Let me read for you the writer of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. This is what God's word says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know whom has said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And see, that's what Pharaoh was going to experience, and his people, because they were just rebelling, in their hearts against the God who is all-powerful and has all authority. So as we review today, what do you want to worship God for being the God of? The second uh, question is, whose deceptive skills do you need to trust God to limit so that truth prevails? And finally, what do you need to acknowledge that God has authority and power over? As a body of believers... What, what do we want to worship God for being the God of? Whose deceptive skills do we need to trust God to limit so his truth prevails? And then what do we need to acknowledge that God has authority and power over? <clears throat> In an article for leadershipjournal.net, Pastor Clark Cothran shares how a power outage at his church revealed the power of God. Our church meets in a rented gym. We're looking for property and are eager to settle into a more permanent structure someday. For now, we're navigating the path of being somewhat nomadic. One Sunday in June, we experienced a few spotty rain showers, no high winds, no lightning, a very normal Sunday in the Midwest. We were two weeks away from a forced six-week relocation due to our facility's parking lot being repaved. We plan to become much more, quote-unquote, unplugged as we use the smaller meeting space in a graciously cooperative nearby church. We were prepping our congregation and praying earnestly that the changes would turn into an opportunity for us to get to know God better. We knew uh, we would be in for some unexpected teachable moments. After the announcements, including the explanation of our upcoming change of location, and after some high-energy, electrically-charged musical worship, we began our time of communion. As people formed two lines, making their way up the center aisle, Steve, our worship leader, played an appropriately worshipful song on the electric piano. Halfway through the song, and with the congregation yet, and with half the congregation yet to reach the communion elements, the lights went out. Instant silence. 
Well, almost. All you could hear were the piano keys thumping in rhythm to the song Steve had been playing. Steve grinned and stopped thumping. Someone had to say something, so I said, isn't it good to know that God's power will be displayed whether or not we have electricity? People chuckled and realizing we could all still see well enough to continue, they continued coming forward to the table. I began singing a praise song everyone knew, with, and then within two measures everyone had joined in, voices only. Harmonies floated in the room from places where we normally didn't hear them. A sense of community enveloped the room. It was a holy moment. What began as a fairly typical time of communion and familiar surroundings was transformed into a unique time of worship and a supercharged awareness of God's presence. When everyone had obtained their bread and juice and returned to their seats, I prayed, Lord, thank you that your power is on display, especially when our power is gone. Continue to pour out your power as we look into your word. Amen. At that very instant, a nanosecond after amen, the electricity came on again. Air conditioner compressors roared. Pop machine motors were weird. Uh, pop is also soda, it's just if you're not familiar with that. Um, weird. Sound system amplifiers hummed and all the lights came on. For a brief moment, everyone gasped. Then the entire congregation burst into laughter. I said, oh, now he's just showing off. More laughter. Holy laughter. The kind of laughter when you know you've just seen God's power displayed along with his humor. Looking back, I think God was showing us that our upcoming changes would just be fine. He was showing us that worship isn't about our preferences. We knew that no matter what the changes in our worship space, he would be there to meet us. The God of all power, right? He's going to be with us. He's going to watch over and he's going to protect us. He has all authority and power over any situation that you're going through, anything that you're struggling with you can know today that he has that authority and power to act and move. And so as the worship team comes, as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, would you just bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we come to you today. I pray that you would just guide and direct us by your spirit, that, that Lord, we would recognize that you have all authority and power in our lives. <coughs> I pray, Lord God, that you would... Um, Give us strength to just trust you in those times, Lord God, where we're struggling. I just pray that we would recognize your power today. And so, Lord, we just lift it up to you. We ask all this in your precious son's name. Amen.